Jack Matthews of the New York Daily News says it's the movie that launched a new era in horror films, in which, for one generation, remains one of the scariest experiences of their lives. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times says if movies are, among other things, opportunities for escapism, then this film is one of the most powerful ever made. And Reagan McNeil, the censored for TV version of this film, says, Your mother knit socks that smell. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of The Exorcist. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters. It is your friend, and I say that, I mean it, I am your friend. Perhaps your relative, if you're John, your brother. You are my relative. Yes. Dan, friend. My favorite part of every episode is the beat that you take right after greeting Starfighters and before you decide what you're going to say next. That small, like, half-second beat might be my favorite part of the episode. Oh, boy. I... <laughs> I, I'm i sorry. Uh, okay. No, no, it's great. That's, that... it, I, I enjoy the rest of it, too, the but favorite... I never know what's going to happen so next. So noted, John's favorite contribution of mine to the episode is a second of silence. It's not about your contribution. It's the moment for me where I'm wondering what's going to come it's next. It's the anticipation. Rocky. Oh, I did not know what you were going to say. I was, oh, I was leaving that one. The Rocky Horror fans definitely just shouted out Consta. Yeah. So, so uh, how's it going, Dan? It's, you know, it's going great. You know, living the dream. If the dream is spending half your day in your basement in front of a computer or two. And okay. then spending the rest of it convincing a six-year-old to do things other than watch TV and then convincing yourself that you should not just let them watch TV because that would be much easier for you. Right. So, you know. That's true. That would be easy. And how are you doing? Hanging in there. It's been a busy week. Right now we're recording this on a Thursday and, uh, Man, I am uh, ready for the work week to be done. Seriously. Because I am uh, burnt out, but that's okay. Because now we're doing something that I find very enjoyable. And it's more than just waiting that one beat before you say <laughs> the thing after greeting Starfighters. And I'm really excited to talk about this movie. This property. Like, we talk about... Right. It, you know, I mean, we... We talk about a lot of different movies and we talk about movies with, you know, some sequels and we talk about franchises, but this is really a property. Yes. It's got everywhere. You, quite literally, because you own so many things having to do with it. I I have, I sh- I'll post some pictures to our Instagram at Rune Childhoods Pod, but yeah, I'm sitting here. I have, as always in the background, my poster from what I believe was a 1979 reissue of uh, okay. the, the Exorcist. And um, 
you know, with the classic Max von Sydow standing outside of the the McNeil House in Georgetown, right. where I have visited. Not I have not been inside, but I have been to the house. I have walked the steps. I've walked oh, okay. the, the infamous steps that that so many characters in the series have fallen down and yeah. met their demise upon. Um, so I've got that behind me. And back, I guess, back in, in the day, they uh, Warner Brothers put out a DVD set of uh, The Exorcist films that included both like the the remastered version of the the original release and then there's that 2000 theatrical re-release which was the, called the version you've never seen and it had like the spider right. walk it had a couple of other right, which is the version that i watched in preparation for this episode mm-hmm. that's and that's the version and i also saw in the theater I, I i definitely saw it in the theater that was the first time i saw it in the theater was the uh the Lowe's Multiplex on Route One in New Brunswick. Yeah. I in okay. New Brunswick, New Jersey. I hope it's still there. Which was prior to being the Lowe's Multiplex was the quote unquote dirt mall from Mallrats. Right, right. That's that like flea market. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're the flea marketplace. They go to a mall rat where they where the, where the, Priscilla Barnes is the topless uh, fortune teller. So that's right. The point is that flea market was demolished and a Lowe's multiplex was built in its place. And in the fall of 2000, when the exorcist was this version you've never seen was released in theaters everywhere was wide, wide release. I went to see it and I, I dragged whoever I could to go see it. And wow, that movie in with like 5.17, whatever it was surround sound. Right was oh man like just such an experience and that was the first i've seen it twice in the theater uh-huh i saw it at one of those um you know where they have those like, fandango live events presents and it's like the gotcha, whatever anniversary gotcha. of the exorcist so before we get even further into it do you have anything else that you wanted to add about head our last episode just that I mean, no, not not really. Just that it's <laughs> worth... No, it's... It, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I think I said everything on the episode. Right. I don't think there was anything that I thought of afterwards, really. It's, uh, you know, it's a movie that I've thought about a lot since I first saw it because it's a movie that, if if you choose to, can really provoke a lot of a lot of thought and a lot of. It's one of those movies that when you watch it, you say, "I know there's something more going on here than what's on the surface." And a lo- as we discussed, a lot of it isn't subtle, but right. it's a movie that from for me it stuck with me. I don't think it's a movie that if you really sit, if you really watch it, that you can easily forget. Yeah, for sure. Incredibly memorable. So. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic film. I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about it for a while. And I uh, wanted to thank Millie for curate Millie right. DeCherico for yeah, for giving us our, yeah. our month of May. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, when we saw that head was on her list, we were just like, "Well, we're doing we're doing it. Well, we're making it happen." As uh, you know, and as is our our series today. The, she provided yes, this us, is the final. This is this the is, final yeah. episode 
This is her final, yeah, but she's given us a great month of movies to look back on. The variety of it all. The cutting edge head exercise like and i don't want to and and i i don't want to you know spoil anything that we may do down the road but she sent us a pretty long list of a lot of very varied and interesting titles well what i love about it is that as somebody who's a programmer for turner classic movies i was expecting things that were considered more traditional classics and she really went for like things that you know, when we were younger, like the three of us were younger, were were big movies that were worth bringing up, and then some that were a little bit older, like The Exorcist and Head and Head and really, but, you know, but the really cutting edge the to have that on there was a real treat. Yeah, it's not one that I would have thought of to go back to, but so I'm glad that she kind of put it in our in our hands. Oh yeah, I got a text from somebody today talking about their reaction uh my my dear friend louise my other podcast co-host yes. louise was appalled at the thought of people not knowing what a toe pick was <laughs> and just assumed that everybody knew what it was and was so surprised that we didn't know what a toe pick was and after a little bit of discussion she realized that you know what, maybe not everybody knows all there is to know about figure skating, such as how lacrosse is such a popular sport, but she's never met anybody who plays it. So I think that it's a very fair comparison. And uh, Louise, if you're listening to this episode, I I need you to know that, yes, that is absolutely true. There are people in the world who know a lot about figure skating and yes. you are one of them, but you have to remember most of us don't. Yeah. But it's awesome that you do Louise. And you are not the yeah. only person who commented with, who commented with Topic on one of our cutting edge posts. I know she did. Did somebody else? Oh, she did. Yeah. I had on, uh, I had posted something to Facebook and yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, um, you know, another old, old friend of mine from Jersey, uh, you know, immediately just toe pick. And I, I think it's kind of, it's, if you're in the know, you're in the know, man, like you're in the club. I guess so. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you're the Catholic and you watch the exorcist, there's, there's, there's probably more you pick up on. <laughs> right. So The Exorcist, we were just talking about experiences seeing it in theaters. My first experience was also in 2000 when that you know re-release was with the additional footage. And I couldn't tell you exactly where I was when I saw it, but it was 2000, you said? Yeah. So it was it could have been the same theater because I was still, you know, I was just in high school then. So I don't know where else it was playing, but good chance it was that same Lowe's theater. Yeah. Where I also believe I saw the Star Wars re-releases when those happened. as The special editions. Uh, I did not see Phantom Menace there because I know Phantom Menace I saw at the uh, Real- Westfield Rialto. There's news footage of it. There is news footage of it, so I I know for a fact that that's where I saw that one. But I know I saw the the re-releases, at least two of them, at 
that Lowe's. I saw when the special editions came out, I didn't go see Return of the Jedi special edition, mostly because I saw it in its initial release. I had not seen A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back. Right. So I saw those both, but I was at Rutgers at the time those came uh-huh. out. So. Yeah, so... Star Wars movies, ones that had people lining up around the block. The Exorcist is another one that people were, you know, the the word got out that this movie will make you sick and people went to it in droves and in a lot of cases got sick. I I feel like I remember there being a story from, from co- Cousin Kenny. Okay. Our mother's cousin who... I want to say who who, uh, grew up in Southern California in, in, you know, the Hollywood area. And I I apologize if I'm botching the story, but I'm pretty sure he told me a story once that he took a date to see like a preview screening. Oh no. of, Of the exorcist or something like that. And I'm not sure if she got sick or if it was like people definitely got sick, but, and, Another connection there is through Kenny, I was able to meet Owen Roisman, the cinematographer of The Exorcist. 13, 13 minutes. I was wondering how long it was going to take for you to bring up your lunch with Owen Roisman. Well, I know I've mentioned it before, but it's actually <laughs> relevant now because this movie is I, I know. all we talked about. And it I know. right before the 1998, like the 25th anniversary re-release, which I think it was in like some theaters in some cities but it was mostly like a vhs thing they they put out look okay i didn't intend to go there yet but i was telling the story about kenny came up so okay yeah and a lot of the stories like there's a documentary that is i'm i'm almost positive one of the extras that's on every one of the dvd releases or blu-rays since 1998 you know, they talk a lot about the the very practical way in which they did some of the some of just like right. the craziest stuff in that in that movie. And yeah, man, it just left a huge shadow. Well, I was really surprised because I was reading reviews from just average Joes out there about The Exorcist, and a lot of people were revisiting it. And saying how it doesn't hold up. And I did not feel that way when I watched it the other day. I don't know what certain people expect, but I don't know. The 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 visual effects, you know, of course everything is done practically. I think that they really, really work. And in a lot of these movies that come out now that are about exorcisms or possessions they're very over the top with their digital effects because they can be and it takes something away from it you know when you have this movie from 73 that has all of this really really rich visual effect added to it it is extremely impactful and the the things that got people the most sick I was reading about this, were not having to do with the possession or the actual exorcism. It was mostly the scenes in the hospital when she's getting procedures done to test for any sort of brain abnormalities. That's what got people fainting in the aisles. It's kind of amazing. 
You know, it's it's remarkable because I actually heard somebody saying something like that today about the original film not holding up to with contemporary audiences. And that somebody would be Rennie Harlan, the director of <laughs> Exorcist, the beginning, which was one of the oh, two versions. You say Rennie Harlan, and I think The, the Long Kiss Goodnight. Or Gina Davis, star of right. the television television adaptation mm-hmm. of the exorcist which i have been binge watching uh over the past week how is it was it how was it L- if you don't mind i'm we'll gonna get there. we'll hold we'll off get there. we'll get there because i feel like there's kind of a i think on on the one hand we're going to be hopping around a little bit here yeah but i i kind of want to want to hold off on talking about the tv show because you kind of need the perspective of of everything before it um and and it all ties back to what you're saying about the effects but i was listening to the commentary track on exorcist the uh the beginning i i also i started listening to the commentary that paul schrader did on dominion mm-hmm. a prequel to the exorcist which was the entire film that was shot before rennie harlan was oh. called in and i you know what i'm we're jumping around a little bit, but we're here now. So I just want to take a moment to talk about Rennie Harlan's commentary. Go, go ahead, John. Okay. No, I just wanted to see if we could just do a brief, just catalog of the exorcist things, and then we'll get into it. So there's, uh, of course the exorcist. And then we have, uh, is it just exorcist two? I'm sorry. I don't have my, uh, that yeah. in my notes. No, it is exorcist two, the heretic. Right, the heretic, which also is with Linda Blair, where she, uh, I, I, I think that the the plot is that there is still some of the demon in her, or there's something that's still in her that is awoken. The demon is well. So Richard Burton sent by the Vatican to uh, investigate the the deaths of of Father Marin and and Father Caris. If I if I, I watched it not too okay. long ago. And it's like he does these interviews with her and she's also like in this, she's in this like, she she has her own like place or she lives with Sharon, the, uh, you know, like the oh, nanny. Oh, babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. From the, from yeah, the first one. Because Ellen, Ellen Assistant. Burton. There was so much in flux with Exorcist 2 because... Like first they had a script that was more of just like a mystery. It was more of the investigation. It's like with each of these exorcist movies, the filmmaker, like William Friedkin made, and and I think this is part of why the, the most horrifying moments in this movie are in the hospital rather than the home. Yeah. Is because William Friedkin was making, was not making a horror film. He was making a drama with supernatural elements. What happens uh-huh. when there is something wrong with your child that you cannot fix? And I also sure. think that's something that a lot of audiences today, I, I not that they can't connect to, but I feel like we've we know so much more now than we did then. 
uh-huh. about and Exorcist Two, I think, really kind of shows that because it's you know Reagan is going to this you know psychiatrist's office where they're doing experimental therapy on you know autistic children who hmm. have never spoken, never spoken a word. Yeah, but like Reagan, Reagan still has this kind of like you know supernatural gotcha. quality about her. So, but like. There's, a, there was so much more mystery then. And I think that was why there's so much skepticism when, like when Karis first comes in and, you know, a, a requests permission for the exorcism and they say no, and it happens again in, in the TV series. Because I think so many times in the, I think it was considered such, um, you know, uncivilized, it was like, oh, that's what they would think in the Middle Ages when someone just had, um, you know, epilepsy, that they were possessed right. by a demon. And, oh, that's so medieval. That's such medieval thinking. So the horror is because we as the audience know she's possessed because Friedkin has set this up, not like a horror movie. Yeah. Where there's some you know, Freddy Krueger, but he set it up as a drama where there's this innocent, innocent girl, this innocent 11, 12 year old girl who loves horses and, yeah. And she like draws and paints and stuff. And she makes little clay sculptures. She makes little clay sculptures of demons, you know, but they're cute demons. And so she's, and then to see her put through this torture and by the time they take her to the hospital, you know she's like we know what's wrong with her as the audience. Yeah, well, and there's it, that first scene when she's uh, getting the di- you know getting checked out by doctors, and you can tell that there's something just like really weird and off about her. The way that she's kind of just like slumped up against like a cabinet and stuff, and it's just like, oh man, it's got happening. Her, don't they ever like drugged up? They were like pretty drugged. Oh up. yeah. 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 yeah, but she's like I mean, swearing she... and yeah. Oh, yeah. So well, they, yeah. Re- real quick, yeah. just real quick though. So we have Exorcist, Exorcist 2, The Heretic, Exorcist 3. Then we have uh, uh, often a different territory, Repossessed. And then back in the actual Exorcist canon, we have Exorcist, The Beginning, and then Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist. Which those are both kind of the same movie, except right. they're well, not. <laughs> well, what's so fascinating about Dominion is that it's, actually it actually has prequel in like the title prequel to the exorcist which is fascinating and if you don't mind can i just quickly go through a little synopsis of the exorcist for anybody who needs a refresher or maybe isn't familiar with the plot i am gonna mute myself so i don't jump in on an archaeological dig a shocking discovery elicits the worst fears. Oh, wait, wait. That's Ishtar. I'll start again. A former boxer attempts to devote his life to another calling, the priesthood, but his two worlds collide when he is forced to fight in the most difficult match of his life, a demon named Pazuzu. That's not really... That's part of... Okay, I'll start over. Okay. 
The spirit of a demon named Pazuzu is awoken and finds its way into the body of Regan McNeil, the daughter of famous actress Chris McNeil. The two are living in Georgetown, a neighborhood in Washington, D.C., where Chris is filming a movie that takes place on the Georgetown University campus. Regan is forced to navigate the ugly divorce of her parents and puberty, all while Pazuzu is attempting to take over her body and wreak havoc among the living. But what Pazuzu doesn't count on is the perseverance of Father Damien Karras, a former boxer and current priest-slash-psychiatrist who's battling demons of his own, such as waning belief in religion. Pazuzu is also faced with an old friend, Father Marin, a priest who exercised Pazuzu from another victim earlier in his life. Pazuzu is ultimately exercised from Regan's body after it gets the best of Father Marin's heart. Father Karras accepts Pazuzu into his own body and then throws himself out of a window and down a set of concrete stairs. Regan doesn't remember any of what happens and is finally able to resume her childhood. Or is she? Talk about a ruined childhood. Man, tell me about it. Uh, that darn Pazuzu. Um, Pazuzu is the most grudge-holding demon ever. Pazuzu does not know how to just drop it and let it go. I also would like to read a little bit from Pazuzu's Wikipedia page, if you don't mind. <laughs> this isn't like, Dan, it's... I'm I'm just saying it's it's a thing. No, I'm sorry. It, for a moment, it just it sounded like all right. Now I'm going to read you from like Pazuzu's Snapchat. Or yeah, right. So Pazuzu <laughs> tweeted some pretty dicey stuff back in the Middle Ages. All right. So in ancient Mesopotamian religion, Pazuzu was the king of the demons of the wind, brother of Humbaba and son of God Hanbi. He is also represented the. Uh, he also represented the southwestern wind, the bearer of storms and drought, and is often depicted as a combination of diverse animal and human parts, has the body of a man, head of a lion or dog, talons of an eagle, two pairs of wings, a scorpion's tail, and serpentine penis. And he has uh, his right hand up and left hand down when uh, in sculpture, which which we see at the beginning of the film when Father Marin is on the archaeological dig. Which is, I believe that that's just like an omen of something to come. Uh, it's well, it, okay. So, as I said, Pazuzu is a vengeful bitch. So, Pazuzu has faced Father Marin before, and you get you get some of this in Exorcist Two, and you get some of it in the prequels to The Exorcist. Though both directors on these commentaries seem to think that they just kind of invented it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's actually, it's in William Peter Blatty's original novel where mm -hmm. uh, in the late 1940s in Northern Africa, I believe Marin comes to this village and there's a boy who's possessed and it's Pazuzu. So Marin exercises Pazuzu from the boy. And at least in Exorcist 2, I think the boy grows up to be like James Earl Jones and James Earl Jones right. is kind of like, he's like the boy who lived kind of. Um, yeah. And he's like now the like king chief of the tribe. So Marin, so Marin has faced Pazuzu before. So Pazuzu n now is, is back. And if we want to go through the lineage of all this series of of the series, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember if it's Pazuzu who they face in Exorcist Two. I kind of think it is. Okay. 
So then, all right, so now Marin and Karis get rid of Pazuzu again. Father Father Karis dies at the end of... Are you planning to synopsize any no, of no, the other no, films? No, no, no. No, okay. So, so in the... Uh, in the whole like kind of storyline, Father Karras, when Father Karras dies and his soul leaves his body, there's a there's this serial killer, I think, who's killed and whose whose spirit enters Karras's body. Huh. Okay. So Car- so Karras kind of wanders wanders around. This is in Exorcist Three, which William Peter Blatty directed based on his novel right. Legion, which is really it's about it's about um Kinderman uh Lieutenant Kinderman who was uh right. Lee J Cobb in the original it's George C Scott in Exorcist 3 these murders are happening and they're just like these serial killings that happened in the 70s and then next thing you know Father Karras turns up and he's in like you know a psych ward somewhere and it's cuz he's possessed and but he's not possessed by Pazuzu, and they bring in another exorcist, Nicole Will- Nicole Williamson from uh, wait, Excalibur comes in. Wait, hold on. All right, so where in the timeline is this happening? Nineteen ninety. So this is a an alternate universe where Karis, because I assumed Karis was dead. Karis is dead, but his body becomes possessed by the disembodied spirit of this serial killer. So his dead body is possessed. Okay. Whatever. If I remember, I, I, you know, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm going from memory here, but, and I saw, I can tell you where I saw exorcist three for the first time. Please do. Rialto theater back before they converted it. And I saw it. It was in the upstairs from Judaism. What it was a it was a Catholic movie theater which showed uh, movies about Catholicism. Yep, and, and priests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. It was the upstairs at the at the Rialto, which I always loved. Right. Seeing movies up there, and The Exorcist Three is awesome because up until the end, it's really not like a horror film. It's a supernatural thriller at. I don't want to say at best, but it it's much more of this very suspenseful, like there's all so much tension that builds up. And one of the best jump scares just ever. Oh yeah. Is in that, is in that movie. Did you, have you seen that one no, recently? I no. no, man. I, I, and I mean, it's widely recognized as like the other good film in the franchise. The only one I've seen is the exorcist and the aforementioned repossessed. Yes. Which so, is in the exorcist family, but isn't <laughs> canon. Yeah. No, repossessed. And well, repossessed came out either just after or just before Exorcist 3. Right. Came out right around the same. But it didn't, it, it, it didn't get a wide release. I remember it did in our house somehow. Well, well, because I'm I knew about it at that point. So I had seen the exorcist though. The first time I saw the exorcist, it was on the, the USA version on oh, the USA no. network. So with the, yeah. So that's the, uh, your mother knit socks that smell version. 
Yes, that that might have. I'm not sure if that was the substitution, but there was most definitely a substitution for a line that I I'm not even going to quote right now. But right, your your mother is definitely you'll quote it later. Right, your mother is doing something different in that quote in a different place. So, right. so I saw the USA version, and then and I I thought I still thought it was great. And then I was like, oh, this is based on a book? Wow, I got to read that. Oh, uh-huh. I got to see. So, and then I read the book and I was like, oh, wow, wow. I was like, oh, that, they, that can't be in the movie. That can't yeah. be in the movie. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, well, some of this stuff they cut out for the USA Network and some of this just couldn't have been in the movie. And then I saw the movie and right. it was in the movie. It's in there, yeah. <laughs> it's it's in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm so... By, by the way, I haven't said this yet, but like, I I think that I had maybe seen some of The Exorcist before the 2000 re-release, but the first time that I was actually watching it was that time. And to this day, I believe it is the scariest movie I've ever seen. It 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 scared the crap out of me. Like when I rewatched it this week, I made sure to do it during the day. There were moments where I was like, I think I'm going to maybe do some work while I'm also watching this scene so as not to be like fully immersed in it. But I was just like, I have got to, I don't know. It's the scariest, it's the scariest oh, movie. It, it's the type of thing where no matter how many times you've seen it, when you see it in a theater, mm-hmm. it's such an intense experience. You leave the theater feeling unsafe. I remember it very, very vividly. It was just eerie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not I, that I believe in demons by any means. I, I I saw some people writing reviews that like you know in order to appreciate this movie, it kind of means that you need to believe in God and the devil, and it's like, nope, not my experience. No, no. I, I mean, I like I said, like I kind of said earlier, I think you get a different appreciation for it if you're catholic i'm sure that it's it's kind of like any time you watch something that you have a little more familiarity with whether if it's like i'm watching a a a movie or a show about about teaching right and it's, it's not like you can't enjoy, not like you can't enjoy it or or love it but yeah i think that it. i think the first yeah. time that i saw it I watched it from the perspective of a child. I was a teenager. So I was watching it from the perspective of somebody that's in that vulnerable position. And then watching it this time, and I've seen it since, but watching it this time, I definitely saw it more from the perspective of the mother who has the child who they don't know what the problem is. And somebody who doesn't believe in religion having to come to terms with the fact that this extremely supernatural spiritual thing is happening, but also seeing it from the perspective of Father Karras, who is an amazing character. And I love how much the movie really does focus on this guy who was a prize fighter. He was this boxer who turned to religion and is having doubts about being a priest and then getting into this situation where he 
has to do the most Catholic thing you could possibly do, <laughs> perform an exorcism. Your faith has to be so steadfast. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, so seeing it from those other perspectives this time definitely made it feel like a completely different movie. And was, yeah, more just like a drama where this crazy thing is at the core of it. But it's really about those very human struggles. And I think, first of all, and then I have, I have a question for you, but Ooh. it's part of it is that even part of what allows William Friedkin to build it as a, as a drama and, and William Peter Blatty, who, you know, wrote the script, they can do that because as the audience going to see the exorcist, you know, uh-huh. Like we know it's not going to turn out with like, Oh, okay. Oh, she has this rare disorder. Oh, okay. Oh, so that it's not going to turn out to be Lorenzo's oil. No, definitely no. not. It's not, it's going to be like you, you as the audience know, you're just like, Oh, here it comes. Like when, when she starts doing those weird things, you're not just like, Oh, that's peculiar. You're uh-huh. just like, Oh boy. There's oh, when, like the Ouija right. board. She has the Ouija board and in the context of the film. It's so innocent, but you're just like, Oh damn, don't do it, girl. Don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or the sounds but, in the attic and things like that. Oh, the attic. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I do have a question for you though, because uh-huh. if the first time you really watched the movie, was in t- in the year 2000 you most definitely saw repossessed before i definitely saw repossessed and i was hoping your question would be about repossessed yeah i saw repossessed definitely before i saw the exorcist and uh, you know it was we we had the vhs tape at home it had boobs in it i watched it all the time yes yeah uh, it, so just uh, but i want anybody- to well, just for anybody who's unfamiliar with Repossessed, it is yeah. a a parody of an exorcism movie. I wouldn't necessarily say, necessarily say The Exorcist, although Linda Blair does play the vulnerable party. I mean... Whose name is Nancy. Whose name is Nancy, as opposed to Reagan. And uh, Leslie Nielsen plays the Max von Sydow character... And yes, there's like the the young priest who isn't good at his job, who is faced with having to perform an exorcism. And there's a whole televangelist aspect to it, where basically the demon who's possessing Linda Blair, Nancy, uh, has this whole plan to be televised in front of millions of people in order to get their message or like to beam out and like yeah there's some sort of crazy like thing possess everybody through the through TV. the satellite or whatever and it's a little it, shop of horrors type deal pretty much pretty much it's an audrey two plot it's th- there are definitely some very strong moments but most of it is like this doesn't make any sense and this scene is way too long f- for an 80 minute movie a super, super short movie and they're just like wasting time just because it's, the whole purpose of it is to just like have Linda Blair there doing goofy stuff as a demon. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and Leslie Le- Nielsen Leslie doing Nielsen. the Leslie Nielsen thing. Yeah. 
It has its, I, there are some moments I definitely remember there are enjoying. Some, there are some great moments. And I, I was watching a little bit of it with Laura, my wife, and she was laughing so hard, so frequently. There's, there's this one moment where I, Linda Blair goes into like the hospital and the doctor's like, you know, it might be the flu. I had a couple cases of it come in this morning and there's a guy walking by with two cardboard boxes that say flu on it. It's just so good. It's definitely, it's, it's basically like if the biggest fan of Zucker Abrams and Zucker yeah. decided to make a movie and actually got Leslie Nielsen. Oh yeah. What a get. It. It's so, it, it's so in the vein of, and this was, you know, after Naked Gun, before Naked Gun two and a half and all that, like hot shots all around that time. So it's like that type of movie was really popular. Oh yeah. And especially for people like us. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's Love filled, and Ned Beatty is in it. Ned Beatty's in it. JC Ventura is in it. It's filled with all of these very and early nineties references. Mean Gene Okerlund pour one out. That's right. There's like a, this one Phil Donahue joke that, Always makes me laugh when I think about it, but it's oh, just because like, he looks like because Leslie looks like Phil Donahue, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, if you s- somehow find a way to watch Repossessed, I highly recommend it. It won't take any of your time, and it's it's just a a weird goofy treat. And yeah, it really is. If you just need something that you're just going to turn off your brain, and and especially if you've seen The Exorcist. Oh, and the way that they... Oh, I'm not going to give away the ending because literally nobody has seen this movie. So I won't give it away. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, so so you have... Uh, yeah, so Repossessed, which comes out right around the same time as Exorcist 3. So John Frankenheimer was supposed to direct a prequel to The Exorcist based on the the backstory for Marin. Okay. And it was going to be John Frankenheimer directing Liam Neeson. And then uh, I I think that was when, might've been when Frankenheimer passed away. Either that or he just left the project and Liam Neeson left the project Uh as well. So they hired Paul Schrader, Uh who wrote Taxi Driver, to do the prequel to The Exorcist. And he cast uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who's- He's great. He's a great casting choice. Sure. As Marin. Uh, but it's a very slow moving movie about how he comes to this. Oh, it starts with him in Holland in 1944 as he sells someone out to the Nazis and the Nazis okay. like shoot this guy. But it's kind of like he has no choice. It is, as Paul Schrader puts it, a Sophie's choice moment. Gotcha. And then he's kind of tortured and he's in Africa and they find him and they bring him to this village and he's going to, you know, there's a you know sick, sick kid and that's, you know, he does the exorcism. And then uh-huh. there's, so that's Dominion. And then there's Exorcist, the beginning. And it, it, at least according to the part of the commentary I listened to today, which was maybe 20 to 30 minutes, Rennie Harlan does not acknowledge that there was an entire other film and filmmaker 
before he came on. He describes it as though Warner Brothers decided that they wanted to make an, another Exorcist film and they came straight to Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan's crazy. I more than welcome Rennie Harlan to email defend us. Defend yourself, Rennie Harlan. Defend yourself. But man, the more and more I listen to this commentary, and, and I have to say, I always enjoyed Rennie Harlan's film more than Paul Schrader's. Uh-huh. I don't think either of them is very good. I just feel like at least if it's not going to be very good, let it be kind of like entertaining and, and Rennie Harlan's. It's a Rennie Harlan. It's more of a popcorn movie. But um, it, first of all, he sounds like a very old, an older, like toned down version of Serge from Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, Serge. Um, Serge sounds like a laundry detergent. So father and just as I'm standing there being like, so Rennie Harlan's trying to turn Father Marin into Indiana Jones. He actually said <laughs> it on the commentary that he was like, and, and then so Rennie, yeah, Rennie Harlan is like, yeah, you know, people are going to think the original one is slow and that huh. it's, you know, that the effects are outdated and we can do so much more now. And the way he's describing Marin's background, it, I'm, I'm like listening to him and I was like, it's in the novel. I was like, why are you right. acting like you invented this? And <laughs> yeah, he just kind of sounds like an asshole. That's amazing. I love it. I love how crazy people are sometimes. It's amazing, especially Rennie Harlan. Oh, man. That's amazing. I, th- I think that uh, Father Marin is such a really fascinating, well, clearly he's a very fascinating character. They've gone, gone through a lot of trouble to develop his story even further. I want to also credit, uh, and pour one out for Max von Sydow, but the oh, yeah. he was like 40 when this was made and they olded him up and credit to the makeup department. <laughs> they olded. <laughs> yeah. So credit to the makeup department for kind of nailing exactly what he would look like when he was, you know, much later in life that didn't, I don't, I don't know how much work they actually had to do. Was it, or, was it, were they, were in they my like, mind, he's always the- been old, but. I know, but then he's like in Minority Report and he looks exactly like he does in The Exorcist. I know, it's amazing. Let's go. I'm sorry I laughed about holding him up, but... Yeah, they holded him up. Yeah, they holded him up. So do you want to hear about the show? About the series? Yes, but before we get to that, I just want to mention, Mm -hmm. I think that the idea of exploring Father Merrin's background in archaeology is really fascinating. I love the beginning of The Exorcist where, you know, he is in charge of this entire dig site in Iraq, which is where they find all of the relics for Pazuzu. And I think that it's great how little information they give you because you want to know more. And also, you also you want to know what it is about this guy that makes him such an authority there, where like the you know the soldiers with the guns are ready to attack, and then they notice that it's him, and they just kind of wave him on and stuff. And it's just like, I don't know, are there any words? There's maybe a little bit of uh, of chatter about them finding something, but like there's really no explanation of what they're finding. I love how simple all of that is. And when he sees like, you know, all of the Pazuzu stuff, it's 
it makes you wonder, it makes you just want to know more and more and more about this guy and what's going on. It's interesting. And I think that the only dialogue is when he goes into the office of, is it like the other, the like Monsignor or uh, he's in yeah, some, the office where, where he's talking about, I guess what they found. But what I love about that sequence. So first of all, again, what works so well is the fact that you as the audience member know that this is all building up to this little girl right. getting possessed and there's going to be an exorcism. So you're watching it and you're like, oh, what does this have to do with the exorcism? And it's not like nothing, none of this supernatural stuff really starts happening, but like there's a couple of these moments, like there's that part where Baron's walking past that alleyway and the, the carriage comes out comes through with the the old woman like she's got like the glass uh-huh. eye i think and it's that really creepy there's that, like really creepy shot of her looking at him and then when he's in that guy's office and the clock just stops oh yeah the, the like that pendulum. weird weird shit that's that's going on so it's keeping as the audience no wonder this guy's got a heart condition well yeah i mean he's also fought this he's got this devil pazuzu who's got a grudge against him yeah yeah, uh, another thing that I was thinking a lot about during the most recent time I watched this movie is that it's called The Exorcist. It's not called The Girl Who Was Possessed. It's not called The Exorcism. It's about the person who performs the exorcism. And that made me watch it with like kind of framing it in my mind in a different way, paying closer attention to to Marin and also to uh, Karis. And uh, I was kind of just left wondering, like, when it says exorcist, which one is it necessarily referring to? Because it's definitely made, you know, they really milk the moment when when Marin shows up. It's the thing that's on the poster. It's the famous shot. But there's so much about Karis's backstory. And it's like, I wonder why... It wasn't called The Exorcists. Because that sounds too much like a musical. I don't know. Where like they're both on the poster. Like it's like Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Those two exorcists. <laughs> Those darn exorcists. <laughs> Ooh, well, there's our idea right there. You know, I wasn't gonna suggest a musical, but <laughs> Okay, so talk about the TV show, please, if you will. Okay. So the TV show picks up in like it. 2016 uh it's when season one aired and it's set in chicago and you have the young uh, father tomas who is the priest of this small parish in a you know lower income neighborhood on the south side of chicago and he's starting to doubt he's got this ex that that you know this girl that he was with before he became a, a priest so he's kind of on he's kind of like that the father Karis figure though there's another priest who we get introduced to earlier who is of course the father Marin figure and this is uh um Marcus Marcus Keen you meet him when he is in I forget where they have him Turkey maybe I don't know and he's he's you know, performing this like multiple day exorcism on this boy. 
and someone from the Vatican comes and just kind of stop him and say like, look, you have to stop and like, it's time. And like, he pulls a gun on this guy. So, you know, he's like a badass. It's almost like he's not played by Robert Carlyle, but I wish he uh-huh. was played by Robert Carlyle. So, you know that like, he's going to be the Marin and Father Tomas is going to be the Karis. So now you need the family and the family is the Rance family. The parents are Angela, Angela Rance, uh, who's played by Gina Davis. And, right, okay. Uh, the, I forget what the father's name is, but uh, he's played by Alan Ruck. Cameron oh. from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, also of I Succession. Love Alan Ruck. Yes, much more recently of Succession. Alan Ruck of Speed. No, I'm just talking about Alan Ruck movies. Al- Alan Ruck. Hey, let's get rucked up. Start a ruckus. I'm I'll done. start a ruckus. All right. Uh, Dare me. So, Al- so, well, so in this, Alan Ruck, uh, so his character was hit in the head by falling scaffolding. So he's got, he's recovering from some brain damage and they kind of established that they like, they come, they like coming to the church because he feels safe there and he's devout. Friar Ruck. Friar Ruck. <laughs> I was just waiting for an opening nice. for that. Go on. Nice. So, and they have two daughters, Casey and Kat. Casey looks like the second coming of Lindsay Lohan, but sober. Okay. Uh, but the the actress very much resembles Lindsay Lohan, and she has an older sister, Kat. And at the beginning of this, they said like Casey comes to church and and everything, and Kat is staying at home. Kat hurt her leg. She was in a car accident. The driver was a friend of this, this friend of hers who was, they were in the same dance troupe together. But as we learned, or as we later learned, like they were, the two of them were on the verge of becoming more than friends. Oh. And, but the other girl is dead and Kat is just like depressed because she was going to be a professional dancer. And, broken leg and like the the girl that she was in love with is dead oh john cho was in it the exorcist series oh yeah not in season one yet at least okay john cho's a real season two kind of guy <laughs> he is isn't he how do you fix a show when it gets into the second season you bring in cho bring in the cho save your show bring in the cho i was a, i was an extra on how I Met Your Mother and John Cho was a guest star on that episode. So I got to hang was with- that season two? It was not season two, but it was later in the series. I got to hang with Cho for the day. I like John Cho. like what I've seen him in. But yeah, great. I haven't got- Yeah. Harold. So, so, what, so what they're doing is Gina Davis thinks that maybe Kat, like she started, she's been hearing some weird noises. There's weird stuff going on in the house. And her daughter is really moody and depressed and just like stuck in her room all the time. And the other daughter's like, you know, perky, upbeat. She's like, hey, come on. So (laughs) what's she like? Hey, come on. Like, come to my game. Come to my, like, she plays lacrosse. Come to my lacrosse game. Hmm. Never met anybody who played lacrosse. (laughs) Never met. All right. Well, you haven't watched the Exorcist series then. Mm. So, uh, yeah, no, she's like, yeah, come to my game and all that. And, and the sister is just 
moody and Gina Davis thinks that the older sister might be possessed because there's all this weird stuff going on and the girl won't come out of her room. So father Tomas comes. Well, in, in repossessed, uh, her, her son thinks that it's PMS. <laughs> that's right. Just saying that's, that's right. He keeps saying that throughout the movie, right? He's oh, like, yeah. I still bet it's PMS. Yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, no. Um, so what ends up, I'm, I, I'm really on the fence about how much to share because they establish, so they kind of establish in the first episode that it, it definitely takes place in the same world as, as the exorcist. Right. Because at a certain point, you, like I think it's father Tomas, who's like going through like news clippings about about different exorcists and who is there a microfiche scene <laughs> i wish no there's not but there is the scene where he's looking through and he comes across like you know 1973 george georgetown you know actress chris mcneil right. so i'm like okay so it's the same and there were some sequences in the first episode that were kind of similar so like there's there's the there's like there's an attic sequence. Uh, one of the best jump scares in the original is the the attic sequence with uh with Ellen Burstyn, where the candle goes just bananas. kind of flares up. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So there's there's a, another there's an attic scene and where you discover that it is not Cat, the older daughter who is possessed, but Casey. Yeah. So, and there is more as it goes on. And I I, I very, it's pretty, it was a pretty well-reviewed show. It got canceled after season two. But you find out like, okay, uh, the Pope is coming to Chicago. They're, they're bringing the Pope to Chicago and, and the Gina Davis's character is kind of involved with the group, bringing them in uh, or bringing the Pope in, but then you you find out that there's not just one possessed person. There's like other people who seem to be possessed, and there's all these crimes with our organ harvesting, oh, and there's like there's something up, and now there's like this there's there's a lot more to it because of course they have to stretch it out. Right. Yeah. And they play tubular tubular bells at the end of the first one, but you kind of figure like, okay, the the demons are going for the Pope. And I, what I liked about the show is I thought the story I thought it was building up an interesting story. There's a lot of like gore and scares that it's that it's doing. That again, yeah. I'm saying like, what did this, this air be on? Fox. Okay, so you can only go so far. Right, right. It's not FX. If it was FX, it it would be. It would be crazy. It was still kind of, it was creepy, but like I was watching this, I was binge watching this till like 1130. You know, I, I hear that they aired the original movie on practical FX. <laughs> that, that, was, that laugh was a slow burn. That was a laugh. <laughs> I would love, now I'm just thinking about how much I would love for there to be a streaming service called pra- practical like, FX. I want practical FX, like, you know, no digital, all real, <laughs> practical FX. Oh man, that, that CG. I don't think so. Oh uh, boy. So, I guess my question is: before I go much further, 
with the TV show because I don't know if people are planning on watching it. I don't want to give away. Well, this it was what 2016, 2017. Yeah, I think it's old yeah. enough. You know, shows like this, people aren't rediscovering a two season show and like getting really, really into it. All right, listen, yeah. if you're a big Exorcist fan and you haven't watched the TV show and you want to maybe skip the next minute or so. This is Dan talking. Skip the next five minutes. <laughs> yeah, facts. Uh, so <laughs> what you find out in episode five, part of the whole time, you're 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 also kind of like, wow, Okay, so Gina Davis's character really kind of, all right, she went to the demonic possession thing. In episode five, you find out how she was so confident and why okay. she was so confident. Why do, you, do you have any guesses, John? Is she possessed by a demon? Not anymore. But she uh. was in 1973 before she grew up and changed her name. Gotcha. From to Angela from Reagan. You know, I'm pretty sure that I actually read somewhere that that's like that she was Reagan. Like if you Google like Reagan McNeil, what pops up is Linda Blair and Gina Davis. But uh, I don't think that I did okay. enough of the homework to actually connect the dots or uh, read it enough to remember that fact about it. No, and I kind of committed just because I'm so familiar with the movies i i kind of committed to watching the series and i'll probably finish the first season but that was why i was talking about pazuzu being a vengeful demon ah gotcha because guess who it is and you yeah. finally like and and they do some like they do some interesting things that are like a little gimmicky like recreating the basement in the georgetown oh, yeah. house where reagan does her art cool basement the, they set it up where like Chris McNeil, her career was ruined by the exorcism and the studio dropped her just because people thought she was like a devil worshiper. Huh? And she wrote a book. She wrote like a tell all book, like the devil inside my daughter or something like that. And like went on all these talk shows with Reagan and so this is in the world of the TV series. This is in the world of the TV series. And it, it's, I can't tell if they're just ignoring exorcist too. Well, because in these flashback clips, Reagan is kind of like just a little bit younger, maybe than she would be in, in exorcist too. Gotcha. And, but huh. though Gina Davis would be approximately the right age. Now, Sharon Gless comes in as Chris. Oh, uh, okay. Who is, I think she's 12 years younger than Ellen Burstyn. Who, we haven't even really talked about Ellen Burstyn. She's fantastic in The Exorcist. Ellen Burstyn is amazing. She's so fucking awesome. Like, just <laughs> Exorcist. I'm sorry, because you know what? We're talking about Exorcist, but when we talk about Ellen Burstyn, I have to talk about Requiem for a Dream. Oh, she's so good in Rec Room for a Dream. Because she's amazing. But she's amazing in this. But what's interesting is you talked before about Father Marin's entrance in the original right. film. And it, 
and I remember in the movie they have it's almost like a montage where they're cutting back and forth between like Reagan in in the house in the bed and like the car the taxi coming down the street yeah and and they do the same thing and Sharon Glass is wearing like a similar hat and they almost oh, yeah. do like a similar shot when it's it's Sharon Glass walking up to the door gotcha and then they also like they they add in this there's there's a convent of nuns who perform exorcisms, but they're exorcisms of like forgiveness. So rather than just being like the power of Christ compels you and like yeah. holy water and all that and get out, it they will take someone who's possessed and like take him and like try to hold them and hug them and say, You are forgiven. Release huh. this, like release this creature, release this child, release this. Like you are forgiven. You are loved. It's kind of like uh, 21st century parenting. You know, saying yeah. like, you know, oh, I really like the way that you did that rather than just like, good boy. It's restorative exorcism, really. Yeah. In, in in education, we call it restorative justice. It's where like okay. instead of a detention <laughs> or a suspension, you sit in a circle with like whatever the, the kid who you hit. It's like, talk to me about how that made you feel. Well, it's, it was like. Yeah, it's like, okay, we're going to talk. This is the talking piece, and we're going to pass it around. And Use your words, demon Pazuzu. Use yeah. your words. Yeah, use your words. Now, when you spray me with vomit, I don't know what that means. <laughs> if you use your words instead, that helps. Yeah. When you spun your head around 180 degrees, it made me feel concerned. Oh, my God. Speaking of the head the head spinning. Uh-huh. It happens in episode eight, which is, oh no, but not only that, John, the demon says, time to give the people what they want before oh, it happens. Grief. They might as well have been like Michael Keaton going, it's showtime. Wait till they get a load of me. Yeah, Wait, which would be Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, right. Head, <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, lots of fan service. Like as the series goes on, it becomes more fan servicey. Uh, it's totally like Pazuzu has possessed Casey to get back at Reagan. <laughs> because Gina da- so when uh, Gina Davis walks into the room, they they have Casey at like at this convent. And when Gina Davis finally walks into the room and looks at Casey slash the demon, and Casey just looks at her and goes, The sow. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's fantastic. So is is Pazuzu as funny in all of the other movies and TV shows as he is in The Exorcist? Yes. I mean, okay. not as, well, clearly I mean, not as raw. Pazuzu in, in 1973, well, yeah. Exorcist is raw. And when I say funny, I mean, uh, has the desire to fuck with people. Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. Definitely. And not as much in like Dominion and uh-huh. in the pre and really not as much in Exorcist too. I think you do get that in the series and you okay. get a little bit more of how Pazuzu appears to oh, people. Really? Okay. Yeah. I forget the actor's name, but you've seen him before he's almost, it's not Tom Noonan, but he's a, he, he's got a Tom Noonan esque, quality he's very tom noonany noonany noonanany yes 
You know, it's an interesting, yes, it's like some of it is, there's there's very hokey references to the film and you really just want, it, it starts off really strong and you really just kind of want it, or at least I wanted it to be its own thing. Not that I was like, when, when it turned out that, that Gina Davis was really Reagan, I wasn't just like, oh, that's it, I'm done. You know, I've, I think have, not having seen any of it, take this all with a grain of salt, but it almost feels like it would have been a lot better if they just let people know that to begin with. And it's like, you know, to kind of hook people in a little bit more and be like, okay, this is following along that same storyline exists in the same world to the extent that like Pazuzu is vengeful and explore that some more. Anyway, yeah, but on. then, but then it's a matter of because like Pazuzu had to like track her down, which I don't know why a demon has. How does a demon? Why does it, demons like? Shouldn't they just know? Well, that's something that I'm curious about with The Exorcist, where it's like, okay, you have all this stuff going on in Iraq, and then in Georgetown, it finds this girl. Like, what is the reason why Pazuzu goes to certain places and picks certain people. If I may. You may. So I think what Pazuzu is always looking for is an opening, a window, a way to get in. And Pazuzu finds this in Reagan because she's uh, approaching her, her puberty. She's she's beginning puberty. She's dealing, she's got a lot going on because she's dealing with this her parents' divorce Right. which is clearly there's a lot of tension there. And she's dealing with that her mother is there, but not there. Sure. Okay. It seems like Pazuzu kind of pray. It's, it's like how they talk about how, like, you know, when you go to college and you're on campus and like who do, who do cults usually try to recruit? Okay. You know, so they look for people who are feeling you know, unappreciated, unwanted. You know, you've got this this girl in the middle of this divorce and you don't know what, you don't really get. Yeah, but what... I want to know how demons get around. Like, how do they, there's a million people who are going through the same thing that she's going through just as vulnerable at the same moment. What is it about her? How I... does the spirit of Pazuzu find its way? Well, well the Ouija board. To Washington, D.C. The Ouija board. Oh, the Ouija board. Yeah. Well, at least in the, so in the TV series, okay. they attribute it to the, the, well, they attribute it to that, but they, to, to everything else, but they also attribute it to the Ouija board and that she kind of opens the door for the spirit to come in. And she, cause she's so lonely. She's looking for companionship in the spirit world. Huh? And then she, that's why she makes like the little Play-Doh Pazuzu. Here's a pitch for you for a, a way to, uh, bring this series back is, and uh, I could be very, very wrong about the the company that owns the Ouija property, but it, it's about Milton Bradley, like in the 1880s. I don't know. I have no idea when Milton Bradley like was a person or whatever, but is a Satanist and develops the Ouija board in order to bring demons into the real world. How about that? Is that fun? Is that a thing? 
Who makes Ouija board? I I, I think Milton Bradley. I, is it the Parker Brothers? Oh, it might be Parker Brothers. But didn't did you see the movie? The like Ouija the movie? No, of course I didn't see that movie. Are you kidding me? I didn't see it either. Ouija. So uh, let's see Ouija board. Ouija board. I don't know, but it would be really fun if it was um, Kennard Novelty Company. I think eighteen ninety one. So I was pretty close with the uh, oh the the era. Kennard Novelty Company, and then it went to, so it's Charles Kennard and William Maupin. Charles Kennard. Curious to know who has it now. Hasbro? Uh, I can't find it. Anyway, not worth investigating right now. All right, so wait, hold on a second, John. I'm on Wikipedia here. Oh, the Wikipedia? Yeah, I am I am doing some hardcore research here, so. I was just looking up information on Wikifeet, but I couldn't find anything on Ouija board. <laughs> So it was following its commercial. All right. So wait, so spiritualists believed that the dead were able to contact the living and reportedly used a talking board, very similar to a modern Ouija board at their camps in Ohio in 1886 to ostensibly enable faster communication with spirits. Huh. Following its commercial introduction by businessman Elijah Bond, on July 1st, 1890, uh-huh. the Ouija board was recorded as an innocent parlor game unrelated to the occult until American spiritualist Pearl Curran popularized its use as a divining tool during World War One. So you just named our main characters here. I'm wondering if you, you could almost do this as a like loosely based on fact... Right, it's create, Why loosely, created though? by I followers mean, of Pazuzu, aka Captain Howdy. It was Captain Howdy, right? Who's Captain Howdy? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Captain. Yeah, we. I mean, we do see Captain Howdy in the TV series. Maybe Elijah Bond is 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 Captain. Elijah Howdy. Bond is a great name. Well, no, Pazuzu is Pazuzu is Captain Howdy, but um, well, also Pearl Curran. That's a great. That, there we go. But I also yeah. I love this whole plot about like these Ohio spiritualists and like creating these Ouija boards. Dan, I think podcast over. We got it. This is it. Let's yeah, write it. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I came into this without a real like suggestion. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I came, honestly, I came into this just feeling like, man, like the exorcist should be, put into theaters like every Halloween once, once such things can happen again, uh-huh. people should have the opportunity to see the exorcist in a theater because, okay, maybe if you're watching it at home and it's easy to get distracted during something that at times is kind of slow moving. Uh-huh. But I think if people have the opportunity, I would say that anybody who's basing their entire opinion on the exorcist, on a home viewing and unless that opinion is incredibly positive, I would suggest that somebody see it in a theater. Right. You can't help, but keep your eyes glued to the screen. You are held captive when you are in a movie theater. Oh God. And I mean that in the, the best of... way possible. Oh, except man. Ah, oh, shit. Now I'm, tr- I'm like imagining going to see one of these, like going at one of those, like, you know, dine-in theaters. Although, yeah, maybe those won't be a thing anymore. No. Uh, no. Oh. Bumming me All out, right. man. That was the last the last movie I 
I saw before all this was when we went to Alamo Draft House. Was that really? It's on 1917. Yeah. Was that really the last movie that you saw in a theater before all this? I'm almost positive, wow. yes. Wow. That was late yeah. January, right? It was February, mid-February. That's February? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I guess so. I'm really glad that we uh, we went on that trip before everything went to hell. <laughs> really, right, right before. But anyway, but yeah. that's not. But that's not the no. type of hell we're talking about here. We're talking no. about the hell that has spawned Pazuzu. Yeah, and along those lines, I had two different ideas. First, I would love to see the movie that Chris McNeil was making, where she's like the activist on like the Georgetown campus. Whatever that movie is, I'd love to see it. Uh, apparently it was supposed, it's supposedly a comedy. Oh, really? It's supposed to, uh, wait, where was I reading this? Um, how would anybody know based on that one scene that we see anyway? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. yeah that Burke uh, Dennings is directing. Yeah. Is there anything in the novel about it to your best knowledge? Yeah, uh, and memory? Yes. Yes. That's actually where I read this. Um, so okay, so she's making Animal House more or less. Oh, hold on, hold on, wait. It, in the novel, wait, I just found it. Uh huh. It says the film was a musical comedy remake of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Oh, a, su- a subplot had been added dealing with campus insurrections. She she played a psychology teacher who sided with the rebels, and she huh. hated it. Uh, it's dumb. This scene is absolutely dumb. Her mind, though untutored, never mistook slogans for truth. And so that's what she's, that's what she's doing. I'd love to see that movie. Uh, the other, have you ever read the book? No, I haven't. You ever read the book? No. The other idea that I had was more about Pazuzu and like setting it in hell and like exploring Pazuzu's world and like, you know, the desire to possess a human body and young Pazuzu on CBS this fall. Well, I mean, isn't Pazuzu kind of forever young? It's kind of uh, drifting through the underworld. Hey honey, I'm home. So soon you got kicked out of another body. Did you? (laughs) That's exactly how it would go. It's a comedy. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think it would be really cool to see that the father others. Marin. If I ever see him, I'm gonna give him a piece of my mind. I'm sorry, I'm. Ripping. It would be kind of cool to see the other side of things, you know, it, just about the the reasons why a demon is possessing a body, all of the things that the demon is experiencing from the demon's perspective. He he eventually just. Uh, Changes. He he eventually just decides to give up. He gets a new job, changes his name to Michael, and becomes an arch, uh, architect. Was it under the good place? Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I was thinking of another Ted Danson vehicle that features an architect that happens to be the next movie that we're doing on this podcast. Oh, wow. Except okay. for... Except for Michael is the name of one of the other characters. We'll talk about that in a few. Um, yeah. So, but uh, if you can guess, well, you don't have to guess because it says it in the description for the episode what our next one is. But anyway, go on. Okay. So, and I, how would you make this Pazuzu movie? I'm curious. I don't know with a camera. 
and uh, animated. I mean, director. no, but I mean, yeah, but like, who plays? Who you, who's going to play? Oh. Pazuzu. Who plays Pazuzu? Michael Shannon. <laughs> yeah, Willem Dafoe, maybe. Not Oscar Isaac. No. No, would not Willem, Oscar no, Willem Isaac. Da- Willem Dafoe would play Satan. Yeah, it's like, really, Pazuzu again? You want to try I this can't again? Keep having you possess people if you're gonna keep getting exercised. <laughs> he's wearing I a robe. I just, I just picture him wearing a robe, and uh, yeah, he's Willem just Defoe like, can what? do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, he's just like, great. Leave this poor family alone. You're so vengeful. <laughs> he's like, but Satan, I wanna. That's Michael Shannon. No, it doesn't sound like Michael Shannon, but that's but, how he plays it. But yeah, Satan. I don't know. I, but Satan. <laughs> yeah. It's like Richard. Is Richard Kind? <laughs> oh, Richard Kind as Pazuzu? No, Richard Kind is Pazuzu's brother. No, uncle. Uh, uncle. <laughs> James Franco as Pazuzu. Uh, yeah, I can see James Franco as Pazuzu. But honestly, I'd love to just see Michael Shannon as Pazuzu. Just because Michael Shannon's the best. Of course Shannon's you would. Best. And yeah. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon would be great in an exorcist movie. I don't know what you yeah. he'd be a great father Karis. If you were gonna if you were gonna possibly remake it, Michael Shannon would be a solid choice for Father Karis, as would yeah. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac would be great. See, the thing that's the thing is that I would see Oscar Isaac in the troubled priest role. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> All right. I, but so, yeah, I really I like your 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 idea for that Pazuzu based prequel with the Ouija board. And well, oh, I'm talking two different things. Oh. The Ouija board oh, oh. is one thing. And the and the and the Pazuzu behind the scene behind the screams. But I think if you if you do, if you were to do. I'm thinking of all these different ideas for like the Pazuzu at home, like a Curb Your Enthusiasm type thing. Right. It could be played as comedy. It but has to that's be the, the thing hot. is that Pazuzu is They can't funny. take it down a few degrees. It would still be really hot. Pazuzu is really funny. Like it could, <laughs> there could be some humor behind it. I feel like it's really been mostly comedies that explore hell and demons. So it could be interesting to just kind of get the more dramatic side of things set in hell. You know, because Pazuzu keeps on failing at possessing bodies. It's wait, now I'm imagining like just like it's like death of a salesman set in hell or something. And it's like Ooh. Pazuzu is Willie Loman. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Just a thought. It'll never happen. This is all just a thought experiment. No, but it's really funny thinking of Pazuzu as like just the the put upon. Yeah, like can't get anything, can't get anything right. Just keeps getting, can't possess anyone. Yeah, keeps getting just, kicked out. He's just as uh, as Lyle would say in Ishtar. He's a smuck. He's a he's a smuck. <laughs> uh, so Dan. Yeah. Would you like to tell everybody what we're going to be talking about on the next episode? Well, and I could tell everybody what we're going to talk about for the next month. For the next month. The next Maybe several, even longer. We'll see. Several episodes. So last, so on our, our head episode, John 
mentioned the summer of 1987 and we talked about how much fun I talked about the year of 1987 the year yes the year of 1987 yes we talked about the last emperor at length yeah. uh but 1987 Not as long as the last emperor thank god no but of course 1987 uh one of the most fun movies uh one of the most fun year and years in movies and that summer just had blockbuster after blockbuster and hit like classic after classic that we still talk about to this day from things like Masters iconic. of the Universe. Iconic, iconic, but on, on both ends because you have that, you have the Untouchables. Uh, Robocop, so, Predator. Exactly. We, we could go, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. That was a movie that came out that year. With Nuclear Man. Uh, so, and John Cryer. John, and Cryer, John Cryer was in, John Cryer was in like six movies that year. And we're going to probably talk about one of them. Absolutely. So we're going back to 1987 and we're going to talk about some of, uh, some of our favorites from, from that year, starting off with, I think the biggest box office hit of 1987. This movie has it all. It's got drugs. It's got bachelors. It's got, it's got Nancy Travis. Not the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, I thought I didn't I thought she wasn't in the first Dan, one. Dan, I watched it yesterday. She, she is most oh, certainly Oh, you did. In it. Oh, you did what? Okay. So, yeah, that's right. So, we're talking about three men in a baby. So, dancing d- three men and a baby. There we go. Dancing Selick Gutenberg directed by Leonard Nimoy. Correct. And may or may not have a ghost in it. We don't know. We don't, but I'm sure we'll talk about that next time. So it is three men and a baby. By the way, I watched it last night, not because we were going to be doing it on this show. I watched it last night because I wanted to. There's that. So uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to also promote another podcast that I do because it is starting to more closely involve the things that we talk about. For anybody who doesn't know, I am the media producer for the Portland Art Museum. And with the closure of the museum, the temporary closure, we have formed a more close bond with our sister organization, the Northwest Film Center, which is a film school. We also, you know, screen films throughout the year in different series and festivals and things like that. And we have a the Portland International Film Festival, but it's you know a real celebration of cinema, whatever, however you define cinema, in the Pacific Northwest. And the podcast that I had been doing for the museum, the Portland Art Museum podcast, we are rebranding as Cinema, uh, sorry, as Art Unbound. And Art Unbound is going to be largely focusing on work from the Northwest Film Center. So I'm working with Amy Dotson, who is the director of the Northwest Film Center, on doing a a lot of podcast episodes featuring people in the film world, mostly people who are in the Pacific Northwest. Those are going to be people like Gus Van Sant. And uh, the music for the podcast is all done by Mark Orton, who did the music for the movie Nebraska, and box trolls. He and I have become pretty tight over this process, which has been great. Lots of great, amazing filmmakers and people who are involved in the film world. Uh, and I'm really excited to be working with them. So subscribe to Art Unbound. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. We're going to check that out. Art Unbound. Any any final words? Any last rights? Uh, the, uh, I guess the only thing I have left to say is uh, thanks for the retweet, Victoria Mator. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Victor Mator's yeah. daughter, I'm guessing. Victor Mator's, Victor Mator's daughter. Well, because as if you follow us on Instagram, we post things about, about the movies. Hopefully, you know, to entice people to listen to what we have to say about them. And as I tweeted one of those, uh, and follow me at Twitter at this is Dan's tweet. And I had tweeted out a picture, a couple of pictures of Victor Mature and talking about his role in the film. And she uh, liked and retweeted that very much appreciated Ms. Mature. Yeah. We never talk about our own uh, social media accounts. So you are really this don't. Is, at this is Dan's tweet on Twitter. I'm at must love pogs. So yeah, there's that. Yes, there's, there's that. Yeah. And we're on Instagram at ruined childhoods pod. You can send us an email ruined childhoods pod at gmail.com. Yeah. We'd love to hear your thoughts and how you would bring these properties back these days. Yeah. And, and Hey, since you know, you've got a, a, We've got some 1987 hits coming your way. What are your favorites from that year? Yeah. And to quote a movie from 1987. Good journey. Good journey, Dan. I was a man of my business when the devil walked in on me. Waving his hand said, come on, just follow me. <laughs> so I, I looked him in the eyes and I showed him to the door. Oh, no. And I told him to get lost, cause I've been there once before. Don't wanna be free, 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 free for that.